Welcome to the audio-only version of this week's pop-up submission show. I hope you enjoy it. We love you to join us for the live show on YouTube every Sunday at 5pm UK time. YouTube.com slash Litopia. Yeah, hello. It's very good to be back with you from our palm-fronded paradise. That is Latopia on our search, our perennial search for tomorrow's big bestsellers. And here to help me today, as always, we've got first and foremost the Genius Room, of which more later, and two very special guests. She's the creator of the worldwide success that is my big fat zombie goldfish. No, not mine, it's hers. Welcome back, Mo O'Hara writer, co-host of the podcast Short Story Hunters and eminent Latopian, it's John Duffy. Hello, Mo. Hello. Hello. Um, you How were... Uh, I'm all right, actually, yeah. Emerging from lockdown and sort of blinking a little bit, wondering what yeah. the new world is like. How's your lockdown been? It's been okay. It's been all right. We, you know, there are four of us in the household, and there were four of us that emerged from lockdown. So I think that's success, right? That's like, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can't complain about that. Yeah, um, yeah. You've got you've got some animal company as well. Is is the? I uh, do. My cat. The, she's just jumped off my lap, but my cat right. has decided to crash the uh, uh, the show. <laughs> so she'll be well, back. She, she has strong opinions too, so she might voice them. <laughs> well, I was given us another ten thousand views yeah, straight yeah. on YouTube, actually. Um, <laughs> You got any uh, recommended reading for us this week? I do. Well, I just mine is a is a, a you know just a sentimental uh, piece. One of my favourite books ever, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh wow! But there is a new edition, and it is illustrated by the amazing Chris Riddell, who I just would walk on hot coals to see his pictures. And he does. I'll just you know hold up. His oh, illustrations yes. are just amazing. And every time I turned the page and found a new, you know, what he interprets a Vogon to look like or what Ford Prefect looks like in his thing, I just gasped and mm. found him. And it's a book I've, I loved since I was about 12, I think, when I discovered yeah. it. Before. Yeah. 42 years like, old, it says on 42. the cover. I can't believe that. Um, has it worn its, uh, its age gracefully? Yeah. It has. It's still really funny. Huh. Douglas Williams is just really, he's the person who made me want to write funny stuff. That's brilliant. Reading okay. Want to read, write funny sci-fi stuff? That's fantastic. All you young writers who've never heard of Douglas Adams, you need to buy that. It's a complete classic. Johnny, very good to have you back Hi, too, honey. sir. And um, same question for you. Do you have a, a book recommendation for us? I do. It's by a new and up-and-coming young lad, somebody called Stephen King. And oh. I've never read much of his never read much of his stuff before <laughs> and in fact I, I'm cheating a bit I didn't read this I've been going out walking quite a bit recently and uh, one of the books I have is Green Mile and I think it's absolutely fantastic it's beautifully written it's like literally like spending time with the characters you, you can you can stretch out and shake their hands they're so realistic wow. the claustrophobia of the the you know death row is fantastic yeah. the story is fantastic and the guy who uh, narrates it by the way should get a special uh, Dolph of the Cap as well, Frank Muller brings it to life, it is absolutely fantastic, I'd recommend it to anyone That's fantastic too, thank you Johnny Two classic reads there If you haven't you probably should, right now the QR codes will be peppered throughout the show Make a priority submission at priority.latopia.com Now we've got some business to do we need to have a look and see what happened last week 
And this is a list of our submissions. Mark gave us recognition. Oxygen debt. The show vote was 30%, as you know. Your vote was... 28%. Grant sent us Somali blood. We gave you 35% on the show. You said... 32%. Tracking very closely at the moment. Ali gave us a worker with a difficult title. None of us liked, actually. But we did think the writing itself had real promise, and we gave it 60%. You gave it 54%. Stephen sent us Glean Behind the Reapers. We liked it a lot with 85%. You said... 73%. And finally, Richard sent us Giant. It was the joint winner on the show with another 85%. Your vote was 74%, making Giant the overall winner from last week. Many congratulations, Richard. Um, kind of interesting variation of theme, that, wasn't it, really? A giant coming out of the sea on the Welsh coast. Yeah, yeah, lots of promise in that. Um, we hope it goes well for you. Now, let's see what we've got this week, shall we? Oh, a review. Oh, <laughs> I think we've had that before. Thank you. Our first submission is from Oliver. It's YA fiction, and it's called Oliver Herb. The first, I think. I think that's what it is. And here's Oliver's blurb. Oliver Herb lives in a sorcerous world in 1890. There's no poverty, racism or anything like that, or any worldwide conflicts. It's a rather peaceful world where everyone's doing great and where everyone has their own book, which in holds knowledge and sorcery. <laughs> Okay. In this book, Oliver hears the consequences of having the book he has and the unknown possibilities the immoral murderer can do as they may have the most knowledge and sorcery than any other person in the world. I didn't understand that very well. Sorceress is a good word, though. Let me tell you about Oliver. My name's Oliver. I live in Norway and I'm turning 17 on the 13th of May. So it's 10 days ago. Happy birthday, Oliver. I like playing football, which I included in my book. Good. Nice popular touch there. Writing and learning German. I'm doing rather well at school. <laughs> like your confidence. Uh, I'm not doing anything in my spare time except for playing football, writing and learning German, to be honest. I think and write about Oliver Herb every day, for he has such potential to become something great i love your self-belief i love your confidence and your optimism the least we can do for you is give you a reading by emily oliver page. herb one by oliver read by emily 1890 chapter one a new berry art oliver who had blonde hair which was an undercut a nice face and a firm body awoke from a wonderful sleep it was the last day before his first day at school. He lay in bed for about five minutes before rising. He then walked to his closet and opened its wooden door and pulled out his white shirt and grey suit. He got dressed and opened the door of his room. He saw his mother making breakfast. Good morning, Mrs Herb said with a beautiful voice. Good morning, said Oliver, while sitting down on the kitchen's wooden chair. I've made your favourite breakfast. Mrs Herb said, with a plate in her hands ready to serve. The plate had three bread slices with strawberry jam and brown cheese. Oliver's stomach gave a little growl. Mrs Herb put down the plate on the table in front of him. Thank you so overly much, said Oliver with gratitude. He began to eat while Mrs Herb filled a glass with milk. Mrs Herb was also reading her yellowish-brown book. 
In that book could not Oliver nor Mr. Herb read, for it was only hers. She gave Oliver the glass with milk and sat down by the other side of the table, reading her book. Where is the Parliament's? asked Oliver, looking for the newspaper. Here, Mrs. Herb said, and the newspaper flew from the sitting room, with Mrs. Herb's book turning a page by itself and onto the table. Oliver picked up the Parliament's and began to read the title. New Crystal Found in Turkey Yesterday, at eleven ante meridium, a new art of crystal was found in Turkey. The crystal was found in the mountain Sufan 4058. The crystal is said to have many sharp edges from the stone it is fused with. It is pine-green coloured. Chemists are examining the crystal to learn its capabilities. Here is what the Minister of Energy and Natural Resources of Turkey, Azil Aiken, has to say. The crystal is under examination at this time. Right now we can't say anything for sure, but the crystal has a strange atom structure, so its uses could be anything. We have, for its strange atom structure, named it malachite. We will send news and knowledge about this crystal as soon as we can to everyone, and sincerely writers. It is also estimated by the chemists that the complete examination will take years. The Parliament will keep you informed for Turkey's observances. Oliver read some other titles. Then he got done eating and rose from his chair. He began to walk towards his grey coat and brown shoes, which were beside the door. Mrs Herb walked to the cooler to put back the brown cheese and strawberry jam. She opened the wooden door to the cooler and was about to put in the strawberry jam and brown cheese, but saw that there was no blackberry jam left. Oliver, can you look after some blackberries? We are empty, said Mrs Herbs, trying to find blackberry jam hiding behind a jam bottle or something else. No worries, said Oliver, putting on his grey coat. Oliver walked outside and felt cold breezes flowing against his face. It was a grey sky morning where the birds did not fly over the farm nor the trees. Oliver walked to the left to take the bucket with him. Then he set off towards the path that led into the forest, which extended around his house, and had a mountain to its south. Blackberries were common in the forest. He began to look different places of the forest to see if there were any blackberries nearby. But Oliver had no luck, and kept on walking. This path Oliver walked every day. He loved doing it, for breathing in fresh air was wonderful. The path separated after some minutes of walking, leading to four paths. Oliver came to a halt, and looked at the different paths for a second. Then he decided to walk the middle left path. He walked for some minutes, into the forest, then heard birds fluttering over him. Okay. Okay. Mo, hot seat. You're first. Um, I, I think, well, first of all, happy birthday, Oliver. Uh, and, and well done at 17 to, uh, to, to write a book. I mean, that's fantastic. So, so you know, good on you and, and keep on going. Um, I would say, and one of the, the best advice that I got when I first started out, and I, I can you continually have to tell writers this, is start where the action starts. Mm-hmm. So I think he's starting way too early. It's yeah. a bit of a cliche. It's actually a big cliche to start when your character is waking up. So don't do that. Don't yeah, start with your yeah. character waking up and having breakfast and getting dressed. Start in the forest when something interesting happens. And you can always go back and hint at the magicalness of a newspaper flying and um, that world where everyone has the book and, and you can hint at that later on start in on the action so I would just cut most of that great advice for his head you probably needed to write it to get it out stuff but then start with the action 
just keep going from there and i bet you the story will take off much more and also watch out for um there are some some idiosyncrasies that sound like english isn't a first language yeah it sounds so, quite norwegian doesn't it yeah so there's uh, it says thanks overly much um look after instead of look out for some black braids or look for um a got done eating we're empty instead of we're out of that uh so so there are some there are some things that just kind of stand out as who is oliver supposed to not be is oliver a foreign language speaker yeah or yeah. is it a or is it a place where the language uh, behaves differently yeah so yeah, yeah. Fantastic. That's great. Um, Oliver, um, make, make notes, mate. You've got to make notes. Mo is a, a hugely successful author in this kind of area as well. So uh, she knows know, what I'm she's talking say, about. This could go younger. You could easily have Oliver, because I, I, I think yeah. somebody said this was for YA or whatever, but you could easily make this an upper middle grade, yeah, but, and could. it might have more traction in that market. It's, it'd be hard, it's harder to sell magical YA than it is to sell... Um, otherworldly magical uh, middle grade. So exactly. if you may just have this 12 or 13 instead of you know whatever it would be it might be yeah absolutely right absolutely thank you very much mo um priceless words actually oliver uh, stop the uh, stop the video right now and look read lex's comment in particular you'll find every, everyone in, in the charm is kind of in your boat they are uh, really strongly committed writers and they're, they're very positive and trying to help you okay so we're not tearing you apart at all but we are trying to give you some good positive advice here john what are your initial thoughts a lot of the same thoughts as Mo, really. Um, yeah. One of the ones was, you know, starting with the character waking up and then a very mundane breakfast after that, which which is fine. I think to do this at 17 and to do it not in your native language is a fantastic achievement. Yeah. Um, and I, I've made a couple of notes here that there's actually, when you read the prose or listen to the prose, it's, there's like a, um, on, an almost sort of innocence to it, which harks there is, back isn't to it? Yeah. Mo, yeah. You know, it's yeah. Just, it harks back to what Mo was saying, and perhaps he could pitch the age group just a little bit lower because, yeah. to me, it read a little bit like Aesop's Fables or something like that. It had that yeah. kind of feel to it in the background. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, there are one or two sort of nods to sort of contemporary um, stuff like books flying about it, little nods and, and winks towards Potter and stuff like that. Yeah. But, but I think, you know, to be able to do this at, at 17. And to do it in English, when when I guess Norwegian is is um, Oliver's first language, is is a quite a quite an achievement. There you um, go. Yeah, 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 great, you know, great, you know, great job, really, from that point of view. Fantastic. Good. So we've all been nice and encouraging and positive to you, haven't we? Haven't we, Oliver? Eh? And now I'm going to be completely horrible. I'm going to get rid. Of, <laughs> I'm going. To, I'm going to give you the bad news first. All right. I'm only going to give this oh, one, only one. And my reason is this. I am an agent. I make money out of selling, doing book deals for authors. Could I do anything with this? Not at all. Not at all. Not remotely. So that's the hard truth. I'm not going to be patronising to you. I'm not going to um, lead you on. I can't do anything with this at all. However, however, I totally agree with everything everyone said about um, encouraging you and about Actually, you're only 16, I think, was you when you when you wrote this. So that's even even more impressive. You've had some great advice from Mo. I'm going to give you some more advice too. Everybody, but everyone in the world thinks they can write. They everyone thinks they can write. Most people never 
bother to take it further than that. They think they can write, they dash off a manuscript, they send it off to somebody like me or a publisher, and guess what? It gets rejected. Because it's not very good. They don't actually know the basic tricks of writing. They think they can do it, but they can't do it. That's why we've got this thing. I don't use this expression, but it's used a lot in publishing, the slush pile. Because the vast majority of stuff that's sent off to agents and publishers is rubbish. Because most of those people have never bothered to learn the tricks and they are tricks there's series of tricks most just given you one really good one there are lots of others if you commit to learning the basics over the next few years even if it takes you 10 years to really study the craft and come out the other end knowing everything you need to know and you're an intelligent guy you'll probably do it half the time you'll still only be 27 an extremely young writer and at that stage somebody at 10 years time five years time and on on even on pop-up submissions who knows who will hosting it by then will discover this amazing author called oliver and, and and call you a brilliant young talent so that's my best advice study the craft most people don't study it and if you do you'll come out the other end with the same passion you've got now with possibly an even stronger voice and um who knows the next jk rowling i'm not sure mo give it a number please um, I'm going to go, I'm going to do an encouraging three. Ooh. <laughs> 16. And gosh, I couldn't have done this at 16. And, um, and I would also say, just to echo what, what Peter said, and also something that Johnny said earlier uh, about, you know, learning and stuff, the Stephen King book that Johnny recommended, yes. and Stephen King books in general, if you want to learn how to write effective characters, and you want to learn how to build tension, and you want to learn how to start something in action yes. read stephen king totally Just absolutely stephen king books and read his book on writing which is i'm blanking on the name Get it's 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 on writing yeah yes, that's it yes. yeah absolutely that's the one yeah, yeah could, and, and I, it's, it's just fantastic there's so many tips in there that you yeah. just go oh yeah of course yeah. couldn't agree more couldn't agree more yeah. johnny a number please it's a hard world oliver a hard world um <laughs> But like Mo, I'll, I'll give you a very encouraging three. I think well done for doing it and what Pete there said and go. what Mo said and what everyone else has said, really. Just stick at it. Stick at it. Great. That is fantastic. Let's have a quick look at the uh, how the scoreboard is shaping up. Okay. Hey, you got a 50% there, mate. I mean, come on. Talk about a birthday present. What? <laughs> No, we've done this. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. No, no, no. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Uh, this is our second submission of the day from Gustavo. And there's a QR code there, too. Sometimes there is, sometimes there's not. There is on this one. So that will take you off to some interesting place of the internet that Gustavo wants you to go to. Um, it's fantasy. And it's called The End of Days. And this is Gustavo's blurb. The Etruscans are desperate. Rome, the upstart city to the south, is growing more powerful by the day. The alliance of the most powerful Etruscan cities turns to the blackest of dark arts to defend their territory. Now Veltalini is charged with fighting the Romans at the head of an army of the dead. I'm intrigued. Let me tell you about Gustavo. 
an Argentine writer with over 300 uh, short stories published in 15 countries and seven languages. Very impressive, Gustavo. His latest novel is Jungle Lab Terror. He's also published another monster book, three science fiction novels and an e-book novella entitled Branch. His short fiction is collected in Pale Reflection, Off the Beaten Path, Tenth Orbit and Other Faraway Places, and Virtuoso and Other Stories. In 2019, Gustavo was awarded second place on the Jim Bain Memorial Contest, and in 2018, he received a judge's commendation and second place in the James White Award. He was also a 2019 finalist in the Writers of the Future Contest. That's quite a pedigree we've got there, Gustavo. You deserve quite a reading, and it's going to be from Ali. The first page. The End of Days by Gustavo. Read by Alison. Chapter 1. Aulus, Fabius, and Bustus tried by sheer force of will to see through the choking dust. He knew there was a pocket of enemy soldiers in there somewhere, but the charge of his own troops had stirred the earth enough to make it impossible to tell exactly where. The right side of the manable was still visible some distance away, but, like Aulus's own command, it had lost cohesion. It was a good thing that there were no senior officers present, because it would have gone badly for both centurions. It was unacceptable to lose formation that way, in a lopsided, easy battle. It was a sign of low discipline. But discipline was difficult to maintain when a unit smelled blood, and that was what was happening now. His Velites and Hastati, troops accustomed to bearing the brunt of much more desperate charges, had plunged through the front ranks of Etruscan defenders with hardly any losses. They'd howled into the town, as though the very hosts of the underworld were behind them. Even the principes, who should have known better, had broken ranks and rushed into the unprotected houses. He turned to Gaius Curius, a grizzled and respected Tyriar. I think the men will be on half rations for the next ten days. The older man nodded. They will probably consider it a fine bargain. After all, a bit of hunger is a small price to pay for even a little Etruscan gold. How often do they find themselves surrounded by unguarded wealth with no officers in sight? Aulus smiled, itching to join them. Not really, but fifteen years ago I'd have been the first to break ranks. Now, I guess I've learned that these border towns never have much wealth lying around. I'd rather avoid the punishment. That sounds wise. But I believe they've had more than enough time to do their looting. We'd better get in there before they make the civilian population hate us forever. We want to be able to control this area, after all. Aulus's first order of business had been to subdue any Etruscan resistance that the village might have harboured. He'd been instructed to be firm but cautious, as other small towns outside of Veii had held elite units just waiting to catch Roman manables unawares. His instructions were also very clear about civilian casualties. Certain amount of pillaging was acceptable and impossible to police. But atrocities on a grand scale were strictly forbidden. They wanted the people of Veii and the outlying towns to bend willingly to Roman rule, and making the population hate them would not help Rome achieve that goal. This village, though small, would become a valuable asset. It controlled a fertile valley of the kind that, correctly managed, could feed an army. Aulus barked orders, and his Tyriarii responded. He was satisfied to see that the more experienced unit showed little signs of breaking apart. Head towards the sound of the fighting. Let's mop up and get our troops back in order. They advanced into the wall of dust. For the first ten seconds he saw nothing. 
but soon the silhouette of a makeshift barricade, nothing more formidable than some stacked furniture and a burning hay bale, became visible. The fighting had moved beyond it, and they advanced through the gap that his men had created in the precarious defences. A small cluster of Etruscans had chosen a defensive position behind a low stone wall. Tirarii, from the right side of the Manable, troops not under Aulus's command, had stationed themselves in front and were advancing towards them. It didn't take a trained military mind to know that the mob of defenders would take only moments to fall to the disciplined Roman formation. Reinforce them. Get in on the left side. Aulus knew there was little risk of the Etruscans mounting a flanking manoeuvre, but he didn't want to have to face his counterparts if his command wasn't involved in the final defeat of the enemy. Okie dokie. John, you're first into the uh, firing line um, today. I just say, um, I'm interested in this subject. Um, it's kind of mysterious, actually, whatever happened to the Etruscans. And I'm kind of getting, getting vibes of Steen, Stephen Pressfield, Gates of Fire, and the chat room's going on about an author who I'm ashamed to say I haven't heard of, Jim Butcher, who apparently has done Ancient Rome with magic as well. So there is that kind of pedigree. Have you come across Jim Butcher? I haven't. No, I've never heard of him. I saw the comments mm. as they came through. Mm. And, and my first thought was, with um, with his pedigree, you know, he writes very, very competently. Uh, the pacing of it was very nice. Mm. But uh, go, going back to the, the genre, I know we're looking at seven hundred words here, but the genre strikes me more as historical in this instance. Where there's no no feeling of magic yet, but I, you know, the caveat to that is it's only seven hundred words, so it's plenty of time for it to come in there. Yeah. Um, but one of the things bumped me out of it a little bit was the words that he used. He's obviously sort of well well versed in the subject, but there were terms which I thought, oh, I wonder what that is. What's that? One was manables, another was vestiges or something like that. And yeah, and, you know, if people know what these things are, that's all well and good. But I would imagine it's a smallish cross section of people who know what um, uh, Gustave. So what's the author's name? Is it um, Gustavo Bondoni? Gustavo. Yeah, he, he probably knows. I mean, he obviously knows that, but I think it could do with communicating because when you have to stop, I find if you're reading something, you have to stop and, and even heaven forbid, Google it. It bumps you right yeah. out of the story. Um, yeah. and, and also, just to, one other thing, a bit carpy on it, but you do get these sort of Roman sagas and, and these these Roman these things set in Roman times. Inevitably, there's a battle, and I think this battle to me, or this sort of, it's more of a skirmish, seems to be treading water rather than doing anything cutting edge. And it's sort of t overall, it's well written, very commonly written, um, sets a good atmosphere. And, you know, yeah, yes, yeah, quite. You know, yes, quite good, but it didn't really grab me. It didn't draw me in particularly. Yeah, and then Martin is saying, like the period, would like a character can, to connect with. Um, mm -hmm. And Rachel is enlightening me. He's American, best-selling. Yes, nudge, nudge. I should know about that. <laughs> have you heard? Have you heard of um, Martin? No, I hadn't. No. I hadn't heard that name either. The first no. thing that occurred to me was that television show recently, um, Britannia which was set in Roman kind of um, Anglo-Saxon times and stuff. Okay, yeah. Uh, but, it, but it was magical, so it was a kind of Roman yeah. magical mashup thing yeah. going on too. Um, I'm just I'm so just looking up Jim Jim Butcher here. He sounds really interesting, actually. Uh, ah. So I I need to read some Jim Butcher. The Dresden Files. I have heard of the Dresden Files, but yeah. Oh, I've heard of that too. Yeah. yeah. So, what's your reaction then, Mo? 
Um, my reaction was as well, very, very well written. Um, I, I would totally agree with what Johnny said about um, he uses jargon that, that kind of stops you. So you d there, were, there were several words that I thought, oh, I need to look that up. And you don't want, especially in your first chapter, to have your reader stop for any reason. So just be, be, you know, dribble in little bits of jargon, but don't have a whole patch of words that we don't know to start yeah. off with. The yeah. other main thing I would say, <clears throat> two other main comments. Again, the writing was really, it's, it's a well-written piece. He's very good at it. Um, he's observing the action instead of being inside the action. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. A lot of commenting what's going on elsewhere instead of being in it. So I'd rather hear from the soldier rather than the the higher up man who's just observing what's happening and the, talking about what the consequences will be it's secondhand yeah. information yeah and the, yeah. the main thing is we were told in the blurb that the protagonist is belter lenny and we're not in his head no. or we're not anywhere near him so no. why didn't we start with the protagonist <clears throat> why are we starting with the romans if our hero is going to be etruscan absolutely uh, Seems yeah. just confusing for me. I don't know why that choice is. It could be that he's doing it as a dual narrative, and he does a chapter from Roman and a chapter from Etruscan, which might be interesting. But yeah. if he's going to do that, start with your protagonist. I would say because otherwise, your your audience is less likely to care about that protagonist. They're going to invest in him less. I would think. Fab, you're on form today, Mo. You're on fire, baby! Great, great advice, Gustavo. I hope you're listening. Write, write it all down, actually. Um, it's coming, you know, from a position of great authority. Um, People in the chat room said something about the protagonist, you know, who is the protagonist as yeah, well. As I and I, and I was thinking, been. yeah, of course, readers are going to be confused on that, too. Well, I think that's right. I mean, there's several comments all the same, kind of. Vagabond Heart says, very competent, but I'm bored. Kate says, text would benefit from more paragraphing, also oh, double spacing. No, sorry. Ancora, Ampar, incompetent writing, but this hasn't really grabbed me. And Kate said, would it be a stronger opening with an emotional hook? And I think Rachel uh, says, sums it up really writing himself in, which is something that writers do a huge amount, actually. Um, I'm really interested in, in this subject matter. Actually, Gustavo, I think you're onto something interesting there with the Etruscans, who are shrouded in mystery. Did they did they found Rome? Uh, were they wiped out? Probably, almost certainly, yes, by by the Romans. What did they? What did, what happened in the meantime? Um, we know that they did disappear. I don't quite know how they disappeared. Maybe somebody in the chat room, uh, genius room, does know. I don't know. Um, so that's that's a great interest to me. But it clearly does end badly. Um, but that's not necessarily a you know, if you think about Stephen Pressfield, for example, Gates of Fire, that ends badly too, but, you know, it's still a major bestseller, and 300 and all that. So um, I like it. I like your style, very fluid. I need it to be more compelling if this is going to anywhere other than the complete history buff. It's, if it's going to the general reader, you, you've got to hook me and hook me faster, I think. John, give me a, uh, give me a number, please. One to five. Uh, it's one of, the, one of those days I think I'll go another three. I mean, there's another right three. Okay, that's great, Anmo. Yeah, I think I'm going to go three too. I think oh, yeah. I think to work around get get the magic and get his protagonist in the first chapter. Yeah, I agree. I I, I sense there's something very interesting in this, but at the moment, um, the 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 chair in genius room sways it for me as well. We, you've got to hook us a bit a bit harder than that, Gustavo. But I'm going to go three as well. Let us and see. Someone, someone made a very good point in the chat room that. Um, the title, The End of Days, was an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Yes. <laughs> so you don't want yes. to have your title being the same thing as an Arnold yes. Schwarzenegger movie. <laughs> That's absolutely right. It's got it's got overtones, hasn't it? Apart from the fact it might be yeah. a bleeding trademark, I don't know. But um yeah. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there have been other books actually with that title, but is it a good idea to? I don't know. I mean, I, sus- I suspect a series in the offing is in the offing here actually, and if if it is, then you probably want to hit hit the 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 first book in the series with the series title and really strong series title. That's my feeling. Let's see what the uh, the numbers are looking like for you, Gustavo. You're doing all right with 60% so far, aren't you? Let's move on to submission number three. If it's 50 for the first one, 60 for the second, who knows? Could be a 70 next if there's a, an arithmetic progression guy on there. Oh, it's Julia. Hello, Julia. Nice to see you. That looks like you're reading maybe one of your books. I don't know. QR code there for Julia's website, I think. Um, this is MG slash YA crossover. And it's called The Whispering Gift. And I will read you Julia's blurb. When the Rosetta Stone vanishes from the British Museum, experts are baffled. Five days later, everyone has forgotten it ever existed. Everyone except Kate. 12-year-old Kate Swan is not ordinary. She can hear the voice of the author of written words anywhere. More dangerously, handwritten texts drag her back to where she was when the words were written. With the Rosetta Stone gone and her life suddenly disintegrating, she has to find the Rosetta Stone wherever in history it's been hidden. I'm intrigued. Uh, let me tell you about Julia, who is even now watching on YouTube and possibly biting a nail or two. No, I'm sure you're not, actually. Uh, hello. Hi. <laughs> Could do that all afternoon. Hello. <laughs> We're live. Nice to see you. Um, I'm the author of the Scar Gatherer series, says Julia, a sequence of seven time travel adventures spanning, I detect a theme here, uh, spanning British history from Roman times through to World War II for eight to 12-year-olds. That's a good idea. The series has a growing readership and is increasingly used in primary schools around the UK to support historical topic work. The Whispering Gift will be the first of a trilogy that takes Kate in and out of different parts of history. I see this book as the time traveller's wife for teens. That's a good logline. Um, aimed at a similar audience to The Lie Tree and Mortal Engines. Fair enough. I live in Salisbury, England, and my husband and three children have a degree in modern languages from the University of Cambridge. We need to do the best we can for you today. Julia, you're live. You can review us. We're reviewing you. You can review us on YouTube if you want to. So that means we've got to give you K. The first page. The Whispering Gift by Julia Edwards, read by K. Prologue. The light was failing. The young woman glanced at her watch. It was late, but at last the place was her own. The librarian had gone, having fluttered around all day like an anxious bird, his eyes magnified by his glasses, swivelling to follow her as she moved among the bookcases. Whether he watched other visitors as closely, she couldn't say. In any case, she'd been prepared to wait it out. Now she had her chance. She would work all night if she had to. She carried the leather-bound volume she'd selected back to the alcove and turned on the lamp. The click of the switch was sharp in the silence. Yellow light spilled on the desk. Beneath the vaulted ceiling, the shelves, dense with some of the oldest books in England, shrank back into the gloom. There had to be something here somewhere, enough to prove others wrong and earn herself the reputation she deserved. 
So much promise, one of her professors had said five years ago. So much promise she still hadn't lived up to. She pushed the thought away and shifted on the wooden seat, frowning. Why could they not provide comfortable chairs? Why insist on preserving the old library like some relic of the past, instead of making it pleasant for people to use? Not that many did. Even her fellow scholars seldom ventured here. She opened the book carefully, found the section where she wanted to begin. Her pen hovered over her notepad. Her eyes skimmed the Latin columns that marched down the page. Nothing. The next page. Nothing. And the next. There had been hours of this. There might be hours more. Days. Weeks. Longer. She lifted the corner of the paper delicately and turned over once more. If you had been watching her, even from the doorway at the far end of the library, you would have known she'd found something. A stillness came over her, as though she was holding her breath, slowing her heart. She bent over the book, tilting her head to one side. Her dark hair fell forward. She didn't push it back, but gazed down at what lay before her. Something had been hidden between pages printed over 400 years ago, pages which had not been read, nor even turned, in centuries. For some while she did not move, except that her hand crept slowly across the book, hesitating to touch what she had discovered. Finally, she straightened up and looked around the dusky library. No, there was definitely no one here to see her or stop her. All the same, she switched off the lamp. It took a moment for her eyes to adjust. Then she lifted the pressed papers and held them in both hands. They were dark with age and with the ink of the quill that had hastened across their surface so long ago. She slipped the manuscript between the pages of her notepad. Again, she looked over her shoulder, although she knew she would have heard if anyone had entered the room. She slid her notepad into her bag with more than usual care and closed the great book she had been working on. Holding up its leathery spine, she turned it slowly, examining the block of pages between the covers. Satisfied that nobody could possibly know something had been removed, she replaced the book on the shelf it had come from, picked up her bag and left the library. The air quivered as the oak door fell shut behind her. She turned the great key in the lock thus keeping safe all but the single most extraordinary text ever to have been held in the old library. As she emerged into the courtyard at the foot of the spiral staircase, lights shone across the grass from the rooms all around. She set off through the college under a violet sky. The old library key, is it? said the man behind the desk at the porter's lodge. Good night then, Dr Bell. See you in the morning. Lauren Bell smiled and nodded. She wasn't planning to come back. Definitely not tomorrow. Probably not for a long time. Maybe never. Uh -huh. And just while I've got your attention, <laughs> can I remind you, please, that uh, it will be wonderful if you could do uh, nice things for us on YouTube. Why? Why does everyone want you to do that? Every every channel you look at says, oh, like, press the like button. It's not narcissism. It's not um, solipsism. It's not even onanism. It's... Um, it's it actually counts because it, it, it all this stuff counts as far as the YouTube 
algorithm is concerned, those things that run our lives, ruin our lives these days. If you, the more people who subscribe to our channel, the more people who like us, the higher we will rise in their search rankings, and the more people who will discover us. Simple as that. What do you think, Mo? I really liked that. I, that's totally up my street. I am to- I am her target audience. I love that. Um, wow. So I, I liked the, I liked the way that she created the atmosphere. I liked her descriptions. I liked her. She, sh- you know, all authors always talk about show don't tell. She showed. She showed, and she very importantly, she told us the intention of the character in that first opening. So I thought that was that was really good. Uh, there were, and I just liked her writing style. There were a couple times when things went on a little bit too long. I don't think she kept needing to check that other people weren't looking. We had established that. Um, hmm. I don't think we needed to know about the wooden seats not being comfortable. There were some things that didn't forward the action, but overall, I thought it was lovely. Um, it, she says in the blurb, it's MG, crossover MG to YA. Yeah. yeah. But her protagonist is 12. So that just wouldn't happen. Um, you, you would have uh, if you want to be a crossover or you want to be early YA or your protagonist would have to be 14 or 15 got you it just, if your protagonist is 12 you're, you're MG yep. you're, you're military um, yep. so and, and I think this has a definite kind of uh, Philip Pullman hmm. she talked about uh, the mortal engines yes great great kind of hooks to do that with the lie tree I think of the lie tree as older than, than this um but uh, yeah, I would definitely say it has that kind of uh, dark materials, mortal engines mm. kind of. But if she wants to make it YA, she she would have to age it up, uh, just as a just as a practical thing. If an editor sees your protagonist is twelve, they would market it a certain way. Um, so Julia Julia has ju- Julia is with oh. us live, and she's just said thank you very much. That's very oh. helpful. Isn't oh. that nice? No, no. <laughs> I, I really like the style. I really liked and it, so this this twelve year old is a doctor though. It, it, I'm assuming that Laura Bell is the is the protagonist. So it, she's a doctor, which is interesting. Um, uh, it's so, it's yes, it's it's very uh, very advanced, isn't it, for the age? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So so is <laughs> I'm that, not sure I trust in, them with my bunions and boils, but never mind. It might be yeah, a different well, like, sort of I doctor. I keep thinking, you know, like Doogie, Doogie Hauser, MD from the exactly. <laughs> Yes. Yes. She's got a question for you. This this is turning into into a one-on-one here. But uh, Julie says, "Can I write YA without romance?" Yes. Yes, you can. Yes, of course you can. Yeah. Good. As long as there's as long as there's action and there's internal conflict and external conflict, it just has to be much more. It can be more nuanced and complicated with YA. But but I would definitely age up your protagonist if you're pitching this more like the Lie Tree. Um, I would I would pitch up your protagonist age. Got it. Fantastic. Um, just uh, and, and I guess Hannah points out that as soon as you say young woman, you think older, but you've already been sure. told to twelve, so it's confusing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's absolutely right. Um, <coughs> Uh, just before it scrolls, it has scrolled off here, it hasn't scrolled off with me. Um, Rachel in the chat room, Genius Room, says, Strong writing, just not sure it's going to grab a kid. I mean, you've got lots of uh, lots of great advice, obviously from Mo, and also from the Genius Room, Julia. But that is that is possibly a point, John. Yeah, it is. Um, 
one of the things one of the, I thought I would sort of concur with what many people have said on this. Uh, first of all, many people in the chat in the chat room, genius room, mentioned the title, and I like the title. The title sounds to me very commercial. I could you know I could easily mm. see a book being called that. It's um, it's enough to it's quite ethereal in many respects as it well. It is, isn't it? Which yeah. I like. Yeah. Um, there was a bit in it which jumped out at me because we were sort of we were with her the whole time. All of a sudden, then there was a sentence. If you could see her, something like if you could if you'd been watching her even from the doorway or something like that, it kind of the point of view changed. And I thought, oh, that, that's kind of knocked me out for for a moment. Uh, and, and I'm not quite sure why why she, why Julia put that line in um, because all of a sudden we had a, like an omniscient narrator speaking to us all of a sudden, mm. and it was it was a, a little bit strange from that point of view. Um, but the, the only other thing I would say, and, and again, I'd be very complimentary about it, but the other thing I would say about it, it seemed to me that in going to this particular book, she was in the library, She there seemed to be some kind of inference that she knew that this, this, piece of, this piece of script was in there and she knew she was going to pinch it. And if it had the sort of the importance that it is attached to it, um, you would have thought it was would be better guarded, or people other than she would have known about it. She seemed to find it a, a little bit too easily. But other than that, I thought it was you know it was a great uh, great piece of writing, really nice. You, you know, you could imagine the library, you could see the light from the deck. Yeah, you know, all I find the that. touches were lovely. You know, I find that. I, too, I thought yeah. she created it, created the atmosphere. Yeah, it was it was vivid actually. I thought so. So uh, mm-hmm. let's uh, let's stick with you, uh, Johnny, for a moment. Give us a number, please. I, I think based on threes given on the others, I, I would have to give this a four. I think it, it's it's uh, it's nice. There you go, Julia. That's uh, that's a four from Johnny, and he doesn't often do that. Mo. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm. Oh, I don't know whether to, I might just go whole hog and go five on this because I I, mm. I really like. Uh, I, I she's she's just hit the genre and everything that I like. Someone else in the in the chat said it's it reminds her of the start of Discovery of Witches, and I thought oh yes because she finds a book and takes a page out of it in the beginning. So um, that could be something that Julia wants to look at. Don't you might want to. Um, not be too similar to that but i think with some i mean every work needs you know this is this is not a finished product but i think this could be a really interesting book but i don't know what what number you're giving you said you might you might do this you might do that i don't Uh, yes, well, Mo was very clear about that, actually, eventually. She was, she was just leading me on, really. Went, might do this, I might do that. I don't know. She, yeah, she was very clear. Oh, that's terrific, actually. Um, I'm going to I'm going to uh, give the number first. I, I'm going to give a four. Um, I, yeah, I agree with everything that's been said. Um, I do have a slight reservation, um, two reservations, really. Um, the first is uh, to do the blurb and the 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 hook of it. Um, I like. I'm I'm generally in favour of the idea of a kid and you know a bit of learning and the Rosetta Stone and stuff like that is great. But I don't really get why she's got to find it. Um, all we know is with the Rosetta Stone gone and her life suddenly disintegrating. Yeah, why? Excuse me, I don't understand that. It's not clear enough. It's not communicating a powerful hook yet, and I need that hook there in order to sell it, because I've got to pick the phone up, you know, and speak to a publisher and say, "This is a great book, and it's all about." Um, and it's not quite there yet, so that that's got to be developed and sharpened. And the second point is kind of um, to do with that. It's very very fluent writing, but it's it's a little bit relaxed. 
everyone's funny very vivid they can imagine the atmosphere i need it to be a bit more intense especially for this this readership and i i i, I trot this thing out so many times i said it just yesterday i'm going to say it again i ideally i would like more meaning from fewer words so you could just get us there a little bit faster with less reading, more intensity of meaning from fewer words. It's a hard trick to pull off. Some people can do it brilliantly. Stephen King can do it brilliantly. And that, to me, is really the acme of the, the writer's uh, craftsmanship, really. So I'm, um, yeah, I'm a four. Uh, let's see how the numbers look. I think you're probably quite pleased with that, aren't you? Julia? I hope so. I mean, if you don't give us a decent review on YouTube, we might as well give up, really. <laughs> Let's push straight on to submission number four, shall we? It's called Gravitas. Thank you, Julia. A pleasure doing business with you. Um, this is adult science fiction. It's from Sven. Got a lot of uh, sort of uh, Scandinavian uh, inventory and names today. wonder why that is. Let me read his fans' blurb. Neil is obsessed with his career in research and the call of the unexplored. He abandons his partner, Liv, and his life in a perfectly equal society on the barren planet Askay to join the first interstellar mission back to Earth in 400 years. But as heartbreak over Liv consumes him, he and his crew discover... They're not the only visitors to the strange blue planet humanity once called home. The anti-Elon Musk. I love the idea. Let me tell you about Sven. Uh, Sven Strymon is a neurosurgeon in training and a scientist at heart. He studied medicine in Switzerland and lives in the Netherlands where he's writing his doctoral thesis on brain physiology and epilepsy. Sven shares the sorrow and relief of the patients and relatives he sees in the emergency room. That's that's quite quite a statement, actually. It's very impressive, actually, because, you know, medicine can be so, oh, I don't know, distancing sometimes, can't it? So it's, it's impressive you say that. The life stories he accompanies from the hospital sliding doors to the operating table and sometimes never back again move him deeply. In his debut novel, Gravitas, he strives to draw on his experiences as both a medical doctor and scientist to explore a believable, distant future through four pairs of eyes, only three of which are human. Well now, Sven, we're going to do the best we can for you, as we always do, and that means in this case, we're going to ask Emily to do the reading. Gravitas by Sven, read by Emily. The future is an unruly thing. Inertia, the universal law that only effort and time can bring change, does not seem to concern it. Lerk Weiss, and again, 2067. Prologue, Inland Sicily, Earth. Caro gently lifted her foot off the accelerator as she steered the whining ETV around a sharp turn. Rolling hills painted in sepia tones by fallen leaves swung past its hardened windows. A myriad of lights blinked in the valley below as dusk dissolved slowly into night. A heavy freight rocket towered on an ageing launch pad, ready to heave Phoenix Station into orbit. Monotonous rows of concrete blocks housed scientists and engineers, 
and the soldiers who were the only reason the launch complex had not been looted months ago. Carol was a junior scientist, which had sounded great when she had applied for the position, but was not turning out all that great. She mainly chauffeured more important people around the base and wrote mind-numbing protocols that no one ever read. The tart scent of Earl Grey filled the ETV as Asmund, sitting beside her, unscrewed the lid of his army-issue mug. He almost spilt the tea over his pixelated camouflage suit when Carol brought the vehicle to a screeching halt. Shouts and clangs filled the air as hooded figures swarmed around a crude roadblock that Carol had almost slammed into after a particularly sharp hairpin turn. Calloused hands wielded long metal pipes and wooden clubs. Carol's frantic gaze jerked to a single black pistol being pointed at them from behind the makeshift barricade. This is Electric Transport Vehicle 12, heading for Phoenix Base, do you copy? Asmund spoke into an ancient and discoloured radio transceiver that had only recently been screwed onto the dashboard. All standard communication equipment had gone cold during the Great Blackout. Not even the pooled wisdom of Phoenix Base had been able to bring it back to life. We ran into about a dozen civilians blocking the road 1,500 metres from the base checkpoint. Permission to engage? Are they unarmed? A staticky voice asked over the radio. Negative, 3C. At least one of them is carrying a firearm. Over? Asmund replied with swagger that reflected half a lifetime with a gun strapped to his side. Copy. You are permitted to use force against any civilian belonging to that group, should they refuse to let you pass. The safety of the two Phoenix crew members in your company remains paramount. Over. Copy that, engaging now, out. Asmund fastened his chin strap. Won't be a minute, sweetheart, he told Carol with a wink as he stepped out of the vehicle. Even amid the danger, she cringed at his tacky manners. The humid warmth of the Italian summer hit Carol through the open door. Cricket sang the rasping song, oblivious to the shouts of the men and women blocking the path of the ETV. Asmund answered the shouts in his own broken Italian as he braced himself against the side of the vehicle, clutching his stubby assault rifle. Most Sicilians had refused to learn proper English for generations, even though it had become the only official language in the post-nation world. Asmund moved out of cover for only a second, and his right shoulder exploded in red mist. The hills rang with the sharp bark of his assailant's pistol. Sinking to his knees, Asmund managed to maintain the grip on his own weapon and returned fire. Carol's ears started ringing as the heavier and deeper shots of the rifle exploded in bursts of three right next to her. At the barricade, wood splintered, sand shot up. The wearer of a thick and torn denim jacket, a dark stain spreading on his left thigh, fell into the arms of another member of his group. Their shouts grew throaty, like the growls of cornered dogs. Carol pitied them, despite their aggression. Behind her, another soldier noisily opened a heavy roof hatch as a third threw herself over the passenger seat to drag Asmund back into the vehicle. Carol yanked it into reverse. Specks of white cracked the windshield as bullets bit into it. Carol sent gravel flying towards the disorganised mob as she sped backwards. Shots from the roof of the ETV silenced another man, probably forever. This would be the last time Carol's two other passengers smelled the acrid, nitroglycerine scent of fired bullets. They would leave Earth on Phoenix Station tomorrow. Right, so Johnny is very busy making notes there. Um, is this your cup of tea, Johnny? 
It's not really my sort of thing, um, but I, I, it's this is nicely written again. There's good, taut, intense writing in there. Um, I did get a little bit confused uh, in terms of you know the the, the genre being adult S- SF science fiction. It, it looks a bit to me like, um, or sorry, reads or sounds a bit more to me like a, uh, you know like a modern thriller, or like an Andy McNabb sort of thing. It's it sounds kind of armyish. Um, and the fact that they're, you know, the the action takes place on the uh, another planet, Ascay or whatever. I think it's Ascay or Ascay or something like that. Yeah. We're on Earth, so it, because it's a prologue, of course, it's always one of the problems with a prologue. They might take you somewhere where you yes. don't necessarily want to go. <laughs> <laughs> and, it tr- and it's a trigger word uh, for me. A pro- prologue, yeah. definitely. <laughs> And therefore, you know, maybe throw throw people off the scent a little bit. Uh, so I struggled with it with the time and place. I was struggled with what the point of the prologue was. If I, I thought it was going to be the other way about, really, that they would have been on Aske going back to Earth from from the blurb. So they seemed to have uh, turned the thing through uh, 180 degrees. Uh, but good writing. You couldn't fault the writing, and it is tight and taut and tense and any other word you can think of beginning with T. Yes. Um, it, it was well written and it's not necessarily my cup of tea but that doesn't matter. I, I think, you know, from, from a point of view, uh, the writing's confident and uh, I could see it was, it was playing well in the chat room or the genius room as it well. It was, it was actually, yeah. And um, I think it might have scrolled off now actually but Emily, who did the reading, um, really liked it and she wanted to read on. She'd, she'd read more. Um, I can't see what she said actually. No, it's um, there are, uh, it's too much happening in in the genius room, but, but that's never a bad thing. Um, who am I supposed to care about, Vagabond Heart? I think you put your finger on my my only concern with this. I like the incident, I like the um, inciting incident. If, that's, if that is what it is, Asmund. I like the idea of Aske, Aske, Aske. No, 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 it's the numbers, you know, the numbers that make the, the characters work. That's kind of, if, if that's not deliberate, then it's it's well chosen. I like that. The sort of thing that will happen linguistically after a few hundred years. Um, there was one, sorry, Peter, there was one note I'd made as well, sort of, sort of run away myself, but I, I, I put, I've struggled with time and place, and we like to know who these characters are, and it's hard to root or dislike them. It's hard to emphasise because we don't know if they're goodies or baddies at the moment either. So I think I think the characters need a bit more. Well, Asmund appears to be a professional committer of atrocities. So I wouldn't have thought he's that yeah. good. <laughs> he's just no, well, trying to get, get those civilians, yeah. isn't he? <laughs> so that bit, that bit, see that bit of my head and I've missed that bit. Yeah, no, he's he's not the nicest person. I don't think I wouldn't want to go have a beer with him. Um, I, I I I think there's uh, quite a lot going for this. But what do you think, Matt? Yeah, I thought it was. Just, I mean, it is. I'm a sci-fi nerd, so it's completely oh. up my street. Um, mm. I do like a bit of sci-fi. I was. I, I'm not a big prologue person, though. I would kind of say that 95% of the time, you don't need a prologue in your book. Yeah. If you're writing something, stick it in a chapter. Unless you yeah. know, there are, there are there are some examples of wonderful prologues out there, but almost yeah. all the time. They're unnecessary. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I would say, like, so check yourself if you're writing a prologue. Well, to I've start been with. telling people that for ages, and no one yeah. listens to me. But yeah. now, of course, yeah. now that Mo says it, they'll listen. They will listen to you. It's so unfair. Yeah. Life is yeah. so unfair. <laughs> well, I can't think you're the person who could do something about their. I don't know. So yeah. So that kind of. I was like, okay, why is it a prologue? Um, and then yeah is carol going to be a love interest at some point in which in which point put this as a flashback or put this as somewhere later or 
something. I, I, I love the action. I thought he wrote the action very well. I, I thought, thought so too. Yeah. An action. Let's just hold, hold that thought for a moment. Action is actually surprisingly difficult to write, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was one point where I found it confusing inside after the guy was shot. Mm. When someone was pulling in someone from the hatch and someone else was pulling him across into the passenger seat. But I thought he was out of the car and had fallen on the ground. Yeah. So yeah. how did they do yeah. that? And then she reversed simultaneously. So yeah. I was, um, that bit of the action, I was like, that's woolly. That's just. Yeah. 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 So, but, but in general, I thought, yeah, action is really hard to write. Mm. And they wrote, he wrote the action really well. Jolly good. Um, yeah, I just didn't right. know who Carol was, why she was relevant, and why we weren't following the protagonist again. Yeah, yeah, that might help a lot, actually. We're, none of us are big on uh, yeah. prologues here. Give us a number then, Mike. I would say four, because I really like the writing style, but I think it's been, yeah. Good, all right. John? John? Yeah, four, four for me as well. I think. Another four. Wow, things are looking up, Sven. Um, I'm tempted to see what the junior shrimp are going to give you, because they... They warmed to you, um, but I'm not going to. I'm going to give my mark first, and I, I am slightly vacillating between three and a four. But actually, I do think it's quite commercial. I, I you know, it's funny how these. Um, you've always, you know, the timeliness. We we've, we've been talking about timeliness elsewhere. The timeliness of books is so important, really. And I think six months ago, maybe this wouldn't have been such a great idea. But now, I think it's absolutely on the money. So uh, yes. I'm going to go four as well. Let's see what the genius room has been saying about it. Wow. 18. So it's going to be a high scoring show, quite clearly. Um, fours all round. I think you should feel very happy with that, Sven. Um, and I think also we should actually see what's going on in Moohara's world. It's Mo World. Look at that. Mo it's Mo World. Mo World. Party on. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> you're, a, you're a busy little writer. What are you doing at the moment? Yeah. What are you writing on? Most difficult question for I, an author. Yeah, I had, well, I, I, I had three books come out in lockdown. So that was a bit. Oh, um, that's yeah, a, a bit bummer. But, but yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, but I had um, the one that came out most recently was uh, Agent Moose, which is my first graphic novel. Which oh, was wow. really fun to write because um, you write it like uh, you write it like a script, and in fact, instead of calling it a manuscript, you call it a script <clears throat> when you're writing a. The, what the do you? Words oh, right, look, this is this is fascinating. I didn't I didn't know you'd done your first yeah. graphic novel. So uh, when you write, yeah. do you write it in collaboration with the artist, or do you give them the script and then they illustrate? <clears throat> yes, so I give them that. So I write it uh, and I kind of have it. I, I, I write it as if it's a script. So I write okay. little things sometimes like, um, you know, close up of the newspaper headline yeah. Yeah. Uh, in this, um, yeah. you know, cut to Anonymous's reaction, you know, his right. face sweating and his eyes bulging. Um, yeah. Sometimes I don't. And she and, and Jess then comes up with hysterically funny stuff independent of me. And, and there is a, so I sent her the script, which is written like a movie script and is thought of in scenes and all that kind of stuff. And then is this uh, an epistolary process? I mean, do you ever actually talk to each other? Or you just sort of you just email or even send letters? No, we it all goes through like third. So, so uh, I have my editor, oh, slight, and she has her art director, and the editor and the art director talk. 
They don't, they don't separate trust separate you together, do they? They yeah. don't. They don't trust mm. like, They think we're going to go off east or something. So, yeah. so I think, yeah. So like, They're as, right. We've, just done, we've done book two now. So we do email each other stuff now because we know each other. And we've done so events together. So you're allowed together. to talk now. So I do email her and kind of go, oh, so this character, I'm thinking, so like in this book, um, there's a character who is the head of the, the spy organization. And I was like, I think I picture her like Judy Dench, but she's a squirrel. And so she actually, she actually made the character look like, I don't know if you can see, she's sitting, she's sitting on a branch called Special Branch. And oh, she beautiful. looks like Judy Dench as if Judy Dench was a squirrel. Fantastic. Um, she's just, just, I'm going to get sued. <laughs> I hope you don't get sued. <laughs> oh, that'd be so funny. Oh God, yeah. Well, I mean, I think Judy Dench should be flattered that we made a squirrel version. I think her. she should be too, but she might. She might not be. She might be really controlling. Actually, yes. who knows? Well, uh, do tell us what happens. Actually, if uh, if you do hear from Judy Dench's lawyers, that would be that would be uh, that would be rather wonderful. Actually, I might be able to do you an interesting uh, deal with a certain newspaper. Hmm. Um, yeah so so obviously you enjoy the experience enough to want to do it again this graphic novel thing yeah so book two is coming out this august and book three is coming out the summer after that so we're it's a three book thing so far uh, if it goes well they might decide to wow. make more but we had real a, a lot of fun doing book two and book two and book three is is coming on and is is having fun too so Just yeah so industrious so you're so and, do and you I'm have a and I'm working on you know, like as always oh. have many irons in the fire because as an author you can't just have one book and yeah. on that yeah that's, <laughs> no that's absolutely right but you make me feel tired <laughs> just listening to you I mean do you do you ever rest do you ever put your feet uh, up I don't know I, I don't know no. no well I'm working on a Sunday here we go. I'm here. this is, yeah, this is exactly. the fun this is the fun yeah yeah Some people and I'm not traveling as much obviously because we're all like in lockdown and out of lockdown and whatever like in previous years i would be out doing tours and but i've been able to be at my desk more <laughs> so i've been able to work lucky more. you yeah i've been working solid seven days a week for the past year actually i do need a break actually all i, all I can say is thank heaven for allotments which will mean nothing to anyone oh, outside of the uk actually but uh, yes. yeah allotments it's are great. your little patch of green peace yeah exactly that's exactly what it is yeah yeah except can can council want to build those house Please, oh, no. don't do it camden you horrible people uh inspiring mo always inspiring and actually quite <laughs> educational too because i didn't know that's how uh, a uh, graphic novel evolved so there you go uh we have one more submission today which is from darren darren burgess it's a dystopian thriller kind of hmm, flavor of the month isn't it dystopia really interesting how, how these things these themes are emerging now that many of us are uh, uh, moving out of lockdown not all of us of course um maybe i don't know i've got this weird idea that maybe even uh, there's going to be a bit of lockdown nostalgia among some of us perhaps i don't know six bullets one home dynamo says martin and that's what she is with the world destroyed by the excruciating heat of climate change only small pockets of survivors remain in the coolest parts of earth living in a modified underground bunker in the scottish highlands 19 year old sean and her family wait desperately for help to arrive when sean storms out to the surface after a family argument she doesn't return 
Her family are forced to leave their safe cocoon and go after her. Only then do they discover what the locals are willing to do to survive. Right. Do, well, they do get up to some strange things in the Highlands, I can tell you. Uh, this is about Darren. I'm a new writer who's written two full-length novels, which I'm currently rewriting. This is the second of the two. The first had achieved a full manuscript request from an agent submission. Uh, that's good. And I'm working on the professional critique of that novel. My reading tastes are thrillers, favourites being Greg Hurwitz and Steve Kavanagh. Great. Darren, we're going to do, as we always do, the very best we can for you, which means... Kate. Six Bullets, One Home by Darren. Read by Kate. This is an emergency broadcast from the UK government. Find shade and shelter underground or anywhere with functioning solar power and a water source. Help each other and abide by the law. Help is on its way. Check the emergency radio broadcast. We will come for you. I repeat, we will come. Chapter 1. Twelve months later. Stepping out of the shower, Shan towel dries her long blonde hair and stares at the mirror. She wipes the surface with the back of her hand to clear the steam. Slowly, her reflection becomes recognisable. Two days after her 19th birthday, it's not how she imagined adulthood to be. Her last year as a teenager will be just as bleak as the previous 12 months. Worse, probably. She can't see how it's going to get better any time soon. She slides on a pair of casual lightweight joggers and a thin white t-shirt and joins her boyfriend Connor on the living room sofa. Her stomach growls at the lack of food inside it. Connor looks at her and nods his head towards a bowl, half filled with dying fruit on a table behind her. She shakes her head and glances across the room at her mother Zoe, who's busying herself boiling pasta in the kitchen area. Sean and her mother have argued daily for as long as she can remember. She doesn't have the energy for another one, but her stomach cries out again for something, anything. The food stock is running low, and as a result, tempers are running high. She gives in to the pain of hunger and reaches backwards, grabs a peach from the bowl and sinks her teeth into the soft, velvety flesh. The juice fills her mouth and her eyes roll backwards like a nutritional orgasm. Shan! Her mother's voice, booming from across the room. Stop eating the fruit and stick to the rations! How many times? We need to count the stock. The trees are already starting to dwindle. Keep to the schedule until help comes. Shan feels a familiar anger rise inside her. No one's coming! Why can't you see that, mother? It's been a year, for fuck's sake. Shan tucks loudly and takes another bite of peach, her mouth struggling to wrap around it through the angry snarl it's trying to form. We can't think like that, Shan. We lose hope now and we may as well just... Just what? snaps Shan. Mother and daughter lock eyes for a moment of silent awkwardness. Zoe turns her back and continues stirring the pasta. Shan stands up, takes a final bite of the peach and carries the stone with her towards the door of the underground bunker that has been their home for over a year. She stops at the door and looks back at Zoe. You can keep praying for a miracle if you want, Mother, but when the food runs out no one comes. We're all screwed. You know that, right? 
Zoe glances up and then back without reply. Shan looks at Connor, shakes her head, and opens the bunker's heavy steel door and storms out into the prickly nighttime humidity, taking a huge deep breath. She tries slamming it shut. The weight of the door doesn't allow her the dramatic exit she was looking for, but the heavy clunk still boomed across the rolling hills of Bremer in the Scottish Highlands. She launches the stone into the trees and walks about thirty feet from the bunker's partially hidden entrance and dumps herself on the singed blackened grass in a huff. Struggling to breathe, she tries to calm down, the heat of the night making it hard to suck any oxygen out of the air. She can feel her damp hair start to dry and stiffen instantly. She starts to sweat and mumbles to herself, continuing the argument in her head. No food! No help. Just stuck in a fucking box, watching each other die. Still mumbling under her laboured breath, Shan hears a crunch of dried grass and leaves somewhere behind her. She checks her distance from the bunker. Something is moving in the darkness towards her. Oh, I'm <laughs> sorry, I was a bit late there. I was still thinking about Martin, Martin's informed today. He's, he's, he's gone off the top there. He's on form today. He said, nutritional orgasm. Somebody passed the prunes. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, yes. Uh, I find this very accessible. What did you think, Johnny? Uh, me too. And, and I liked uh, one of his influences or one of his heroes, Steve Kavanagh. Just a quick plug for Steve Kavanagh, who's a Belfast... Uh, crime writer who's written a great series of books, Eddie Flynn, great, anyway, that's by the by. I, I like this, I, I thought it was good, and I think, you know, he's trying to get himself mixed into an area which is uh, very crowded, uh, um, it's a very crowded pitch yeah. really, and you know, dystopia rules okay, and it, there's an mm. awful lot of it about it at the moment, mm -hmm. and I think you need mm -hmm. to get a bit of a different slant on it, because all too often in dystopia, there's some kind of overarching regime which is trying to control the masses but i like i like he's sort of taking this down microscope the down and there's a family conflict going on here mm. and so the you know the inciting incident is a family conflict where the girl gets fed up and she's going i'm off and and we've got a nice cliffhanger a nice cliffhanger at the end there and i also like the way that it's hinted that you know it's not really there's no there's no sort of great big sort of it's not like um uh, the Hunger Games or anything like that. It's not the, you know, the, the actual city, the, the hierarchy of the city, but it could be she could get into trouble from people who are trying to survive and maybe might mm. not be as well fixed as she is. Um, some very nice writing and a nice cliffhanger, and, and I, I quite quite enjoyed that, yeah. There is this problem with dystopias, uh, isn't there? I, mean, I think, I mean, it depends mm. where you live, really, but, um, you know, if you've been living in the middle of a big city over the past year in, in many Western countries, you have been kind of preparing for dystopia. You know, yeah. I mean, the, the essential foods have been disappearing from the shelves and things. So it just kind of, you know, is this escapism anymore, really? Do we want to read about that or do we want to? I'll tell you what I've been doing, actually. All I've been doing is my, my reading habits over the past few months, certainly two, three months, I've been just getting simpler and simpler, just Agatha Christie and stuff mm. like that. Um, May Gray, um, P.G. Woodhouse, no. you know, yes, all, all favourites. It's, it's not really dystopia, is it? Do you think? What do you, what do you think, Mo? No. Are, we, are we still doing dystopia or yeah. not? I don't. I, 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 I do like dystopia, and I think this has, as, as Johnny said, this has an interesting twist in that it's also got this family dynamic. So it's not mm. just about the um, 
battle in the hinterland or the you know the the great catastrophe or whatever there's this there's this family dynamic as well which is more interesting and i think is going to make it more nuanced um there were a couple i I thought it had a good ending i thought it ended on a on a nice thing i thought it was her just you had talked about the blurb and stuff being accurate before the blurb seemed to change point of view in my in my mind because it talked about her and then it said but when something happens to her her family has to go and find out and solve the mystery so yes. are we, does she disappear and stops being the protagonist and then we go back and find out about the family and then the family tries to find her so so i was a bit confused about whose point of view this was going to be are we going to stay yeah. with sean or is sean just going to disappear and then we're actually going to follow connor trying to find sean or something yeah so um, yeah we don't know so i wanted to know from the beginning what was who the protagonist was are we going to stay with sean or are we gonna um yeah yeah and then it's it started uh it started with her coming out of the shower and getting dressed i don't care i don't need to know i want to i want to start with the fight with her mom and and i don't want to find out that that he said something about um her mom her mom and her have argued so many times like he told us that they were going to argue don't do that don't Mm. don't tell me just Mm. show me show me them arguing because when you read the dialogue it was good dialogue yeah, that's just right, show actually. me the argument it speaks yeah. for itself don't don't yeah. pre-warn me oh and by the way her and her mom have a terrible relationship just so you know yeah. just show me that they have a terrible relationship because you're doing a good job at showing me their relationship so just do absolutely. it just absolutely it. Um, yeah. and please don't say nutritional orgasm it's just awful please don't say nutritional well, you know, I, I, I just think I need to change my vitamin pills probably I don't know <laughs> Um, it's like a, yeah, it's like, so they have I don't know but but I thought I thought she could be a really interesting character I thought the dynamic of being locked up with um, your boyfriend and your parents in a in a lockdown situation I know people that that happened to and, yeah. and it's, yeah. it's very straight obviously not at this extreme but you know that's an interesting thing to explore if you get to see more of the family dynamic um, but it was well written I would just do those few show don't tell you know don't tell me you're going to they're going to argue and, and don't start with her getting out of the shower just that's great advice Mo Darren you, you're getting it straight from oh, God if I say straight from the uh, certain animal's mouth it means I'm calling my horse that's, which I don't it means she won't come back on the show um, it, expert advice there Darren I just talked myself into a corner didn't I um, so Kate says interestingly because I know she, she does school librarian work as well my teenage readers she's talking about kids at school still love dystopia dystopia is not going yeah. out of fashion fair enough okay mo give us a number um i'm gonna go i'm gonna go four because i think i think the thing good writer just yeah yeah do those very things. nice very nice that'll go down well i think with darren what do you say johnny yeah it's four for me because oh, yeah. it's different it's so yeah I need a little bit of a hook. I would actually go three and a half because I need a bit, bit more of a hook, actually, Darren. It's got, you know, uh, the dystopian market is nothing if not overcrowded these days. So we do need, there's got to be something substantially different there. And I'm not, it's not quite coming through yet. You probably have thought it through, but it's, it's not there in the blurb initially. So, yeah, for us, why not? We're going for, yeah. Um, great readings by all the narrators. That's one thing I don't do enough. Um, and I'm going to yes, now. Narrators, yeah. I'm going to say thank yeah. you, narrators, Excellent. so much. 
every narrator we have here is just the best and they get inside the manuscript they do a wonderful job they lift the manuscripts sometimes too much actually because i just think they you know they often give them another point or two let's hear it from the narrators everybody <laughs> i shot that earlier yeah yeah cool excellent right let's see what the numbers look like finally shall we high scoring show isn't it eh? uh got two eighties and an 85 that is yours julia if you're still with us you've been remarkably quiet these past few minutes maybe you're off opening the champers i don't know i hope not i hope you're not one of those authors who just comes for your own pleasure and then leaves no we don't like that at all um actually what we do need to do now make your pop-up submission subs.latopia.com that's what you do that's where you go and that's how you get on the show johnny you know what i'm going to say in a moment um before i say that i'm going to say thank you so much for being the eminent latopian i think that's how we describe you the eminent latopian you are and all the duties you do in the colony very very much appreciated by everyone but also of course you are i happen to know the co-star of this rather successful new podcast what's it called short story hunters yes <laughs> and what's it's it about <laughs> it's well what it is we're giving um unpublished and unheard writers a chance to send us a 50 minute sorry 50, 500 word uh, <laughs> short story which we will then feature if we like it uh, we'll do a reading for them and um, it'll become part of the show and um, we're getting subs in from all over the world which is great there you go and you've got a listener there already saying loving short story hunters which is great um together with your co-host barbara as well so uh is there a, is there any one of these numbers you want to change you can do if you want no as you said, as you said very very strong show but i'm happy with all the points i've given so i'll stick fantastic and mo what can i say i i want to withdraw the equine analogy i i didn't mean that oh but look oh black has just joined well. us the what's cats her name? Come back. What's her, what's her know, name? This is Echo. This is Echo. 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 Yeah. So Echo, Echo, what do you think? Should I keep? Yeah. She says I should stick. She says I you should, should stick. The, the that's great. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Don't forget to vote on today's show. There you go. Six and a half days to make your opinion count. Thank you, everyone behind the scenes, who's made it such a great show. You know who you are. And you know we're going to see you again same time next week.